Welcome in everybody to the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Colin Munn, and we're off and running. Now, before we get started here real quick, just want to remind everybody that if you don't already, go ahead and follow the Cutback Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can listen to us every Monday on Spotify and check out our website, anchor.fm forward slash the Cutback. Check out all our past episodes. Let us know what you think. Tell a friend, be a friend. And uh, let's grow this army of thousands that listen every week to the old Cutback Podcast. Droves. It's just <laughs> droves of people. Hundreds upon thousands of listeners we have each week. It's hard <laughs> to go through all your reviews and critiques. Yep. Uh, but it, believe me, we do read them all. <laughs> yeah, we're very active on the social media. So here we are, episode 19, week two of the NFL season. How are you feeling after week one? Uh, feeling for football or feeling for my team in particular? <laughs> let's uh, let's keep you strict to the Texans here. Uh, feeling for the Texans, lukewarm at best. Um, I just they didn't look good, but I also recognized we were playing Kansas City, and I, you know, so I don't want to go off on Bill O'Brien just yet. I'll save that for when we have our patented loss to a four and twelve. <laughs> like Giants team or something, I'll save it for then. But um, I don't anticipate a whole lot of uh, success these first four weeks for the Texans. Uh, so it's just going to be – it's going to be a sad. I'm already – hey, also, we start today with, <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the beer choice uh, today. Also looking for a beer sponsor. If anybody wants to sponsor our thousands of listeners, uh, I'll drink your stuff. You can't start, uh, or what's the say? You can't drink all day unless you start drinking in the morning, and you are well on your way, sir. That is the that is how I do football Sundays. It's yeah. the only way you can be a Texans fan. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You can you can add the Lions fan fandom in there. I think we are we are in this season together. It's gonna be a uh, it's gonna be an interesting one. Yet and I'm, yet, both of us have the Lions making the playoffs this year. Yeah, that looked uh, pretty good for the first like three quarters of the game. I was gonna say like first last week. I don't know, forty nine minutes of the game. Yep, yep, yep. Classic Lions loss there. Uh, that's that's the thing about being a Lions fan, where you just get used to losses happening that uh, would only happen maybe like once for an entire team's fandom, like the life of somebody's fandom for another team. Usually happens to us like two or three times a year, so you're just used to it. I think I and I, I think really in my heart of hearts, Lions fans should pay it forward, have some good in their heart, and, and like work at like a trauma center or <laughs> or something like that, and just and because I feel like y'all go through more pain than any other franchise in sports, and and I feel like it would be remiss if y'all didn't help others get through this suffering. Dude, last so last Sunday, obviously we blow a twenty-three to six lead in the fourth quarter, so that's already upsetting. But then, hey, we get the ball back. Stafford is has led like the most, uh, or one of the most fourth quarter comeback or game leading drives like in the history of the NFL. Like, hey, we got a shot here. We can we can move it on down. Sure enough, we do. Rookie DeAndre Swift, running back, unfortunately drops a a gimme game winning touchdown pass in the end zone, which you feel the, uh, the highs and the lows. And my first thought after the game, once I was just kind of like, uh, no longer in just shock and awe was like the Ford family really owes lions fans reparations. And I'm not really that 
uh, kidding about that one. Like it is insane that the Lions still have the fan base that they do. We got to get something in return here. I'm 28 years into a potential life lifetime of just sadness and disappointment. Well, what, what what's it going to take for you to give up the Lions? Nothing. Like, what it, I, I right. can't. I don't know what happened. I don't right. know how. You, they're not going to give you reparations because you still keep coming back. Like, you yeah. haven't left them. I, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's your they've own got fault. Us, they've got us right where they want us. <laughs> exactly. We, and they are who we crap, thought they were. We're putting a crap product on the field, and they're still coming back. I don't know how we do it, but, man, we're miracle workers. Yeah, the Lions are a case study that would be interesting uh, to get into at a different time. Um, just how we seem to be cursed and and deal with the same issues, no matter who our players are, who our coaches are, who our GMs are. I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. But let's uh, let's jump on into the the work here uh, because we got a lot to talk about, and and we got one big uh, lingering topic that is going to evoke quite the emotional response I can only imagine. So we want to make sure we give that ample time. So let's let's check off a few of these quick that we saw this week. Uh, the first thing, I, last week we talked about um, in the Kansas City-Houston game, noticing that Kansas City was blocking off like the first 10 rows of, of the stadium with tarps. I remember we were first kind of like, oh yeah, like that makes sense. Like our whole thing was can't can't let the the players breathe the air of the, of the general population. Got to keep that air separate, right? And then it dawned on me that you know what they're actually just doing that so that they can sell sponsorships. <laughs> You're right. That's what they're doing. They don't care about the safety in college football either. Like it's all about the moolah. They all want the cash, man. They're like, hey, these are actually the areas of the stadium that are going to be on TV the most. And since we can't have that many fans or very few fans, uh, we got to get eyeballs on these sponsors who generally wouldn't be seen by TV and only be seen by eyeballs in the stadium, which if you are a listener of this podcast, you know that that is a small portion of a team's overall fan base. So they adjusted, and uh, while we thought it was about keeping air separate from other people's air, nope, it's just about the money. Always follow that money. Kareem, cash rules everything around me. <laughs> what do you think about um, this narrative that's kind of starting to come out as we see different leagues and properties make concessions for sponsors? That um, it, is it showing that leagues do care about sponsors more than fans? I'm not sure. I'm ready to commit to more to to the more sentiment there. Um, because I do think teams genuinely do care about their fans at, at like to an extent, you know, I don't think, will they put them in a, a life risking situation where they can go to a football game if they pay for it? Yes. They'll let them do it. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> these corporate sponsors, I think they're kind of teams are looking for ways to bend over backwards to kind of help keep these relationships alive. Um if this was a, and I, and I'm using this word, you know, very loosely, if this were a normal year, uh, I don't think you would see half of this willingness to work on things, willingness to do certain things, um, in the NFL that you are now, uh, just because there, it, it is such a up in the air year, like everything is just scrambled and jumbled up. Um, so I, I don't I think that's kind of causing a lot of these conversations and changes to happen between sponsors and the team. Um, and 
moreover, you know, fans just aren't allowed to be in the building. So I think you just you take care of the person that brought you. And this year, the person that brought you is your sponsors. So there you go. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And and when you think about fans still um, are representative of a larger portion of the pie when it comes to um, a team's revenue, like if you think of three buckets as like media rights, things that come from fans, so ticket sales, concessions, merch, so on and so forth, and then just direct sponsor revenue, that fan bucket is still larger. Um, so yeah, it, it is interesting to see teams especially start but to neither do... neither the sponsorship or the fan bucket, and I would argue probably even combined, uh, match that media rights bucket. No, I mean, it's something NFL teams, some of them up to 60% of their revenue is from the national media share that each team just gets from the TV deals that the NFL has with the multiple broadcast partners. And, and here is yet another example of like, an, and it should be eye-opening. to It's eye-opening to me to think about. So um, just how much money those TV deals are worth. Like it's, it's stupid money. Like it's crazy. And I think that's ultimately what has led the NFL back to play. It, why all sports leagues, not just the NFL, all sports leagues have come back to play with such fervor in trying to make it happen is because that large bucket was still, wasn't taken away by coronavirus. Well, I remember hearing an anecdote from our professors when we were at Michigan talking about how, Particularly in the NFL, um, teams can pay like the salary cap in the NFL is covered by the media deal. So they literally used to talk about kind of throughout this this scenario where like as long as the game is on TV, it doesn't matter if anything else is going on. The team is going to make money like they are going to operate profitably. Now we're in that situation where literally for the most part, the games are just on TV and we're seeing that, yes, teams are able to operate uh, kind of in the green. What's interesting is teams, this this kind of nicely transitions into another thing that we wanted to hit on. Teams are still making a big deal about how much money they're losing in game day revenue. And we're seeing these stats come out about um, per game stadium revenue loss without fans and attendance for other teams. The Cowboys come in at a whopping $77 million per game that they're supposedly losing uh, in revenue without having fans in attendance. The Patriots are then a, a large jump down at 39 million giants, 32 million, your very own Houston Texans, 27 million, New York jets, 27 million. Uh, and then the rest of the teams kind of fall under that. What do you think about those numbers? Uh, those were kind of eye popping to me when you talk about a per game, uh, revenue loss. And what do you just think about the narrative of of teams putting this out there and, and trying to make it seem like they're still hurting financially. So I, I kind of, it's, it's twofold here. And, and so first and foremost, I think it's very similar to major league baseball in that. I think there's some kind of like part of me that's like, okay, owners, the fact that you're crying poor during the middle of a global pandemic and, everybody else is hurting too. Like, I don't think this is the time for you to be crying poor about $77 million shortages when we all, and Jerry Jones is out cruising on his yacht. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's the the look that I necessarily agree with. 
Um, and, and more, and to kind of double down on that point, nobody shows books. They just throw numbers out. And, and, and so like, you know, do I necessarily doubt the, those numbers? I don't doubt them as much as I do major league baseball, like those major league baseball numbers, when those owners were throwing out their projected losses, those, I was like, okay, let's pump the brakes. Nobody's watching baseball at that clip, you know? And, and this there's those numbers seem a little bit more reasonable, but I, but I still like show your work. Like, where are we getting this? And, and, and I, because at the end of the day, I just think it's a power play on the salary cap for future years. Like that. I really think that's all that this is, is they're just looking for a way to they're, they're two, three moves ahead. And by crying poor on the, all their losses, that they've had this year, they're going to be able to manipulate the salary cap in years forward. Yeah. I I think you bring up a lot of great points. The first thing I thought about was how, like, if you put this in the context of NFL teams only having eight games and you think about how much game day revenue we know they bring in and you're like, Oh, well, when you only divide that by eight, it is a pretty big chunk of cash uh, to be missing out on. The thing that does bother me a little bit not i mean at the end of the day like we've talked about like who are we to be pocket watching owners and shit like that but it is frustrating that it's like they're they are making a big deal out of this and i think you're right for the salary cap but they're not actually like they're not operating in the red they are still making money and they're just pissed that they're not making as much money um And so, yeah, I think a lot of teams are in this position where they're assuming the salary cap is going to be decreased um, in the coming seasons. But it's interesting. A lot of teams are still spending a shit ton of money. Like, think about all the guys who have been extended and signed to long-term deals, even in the past couple weeks of of big-time money. So it's like, on one hand, you see teams seemingly preparing to make a, a stand that the salary cap should be um, lessened in coming years to kind of like make up for this loss of uh, game day fan revenue. But on the other hand, teams are locking guys up at record clips. No doubt. No doubt. And, and to your, <clears throat> Ian, you brought up a great point in just the way that these NFL owners, and this is where I've seen this more, the NFL owners, they're also how they phrase this, this loss of money. It's not a like we have, we're have, we're operating at a loss. Like they never say that. It's the it's a seventy million dollar revenue loss. So we're looking at year over year. They took a seventy million dollar hit from the revenues they made the year before, which is, in all honesty, probably a fart in a whirlwind compared to all the revenues they pull in over a calendar year. I mean, yes, I get it. People are like, Cullen, seventy million dollars that adds up over over seventeen weeks. Yes, not. Not denying any of that, but I also I feel like you know as somebody whose salary's been cut, like that adds up over amount yeah. of time too. <laughs> like I, I I like it's hard for me to feel bad when you're having revenue losses, just like my salary getting cut is the same thing as a revenue loss for me personally. You know, um, yeah. it's just scaled up way different. Obviously, I, which don't I don't want anybody to be out there <laughs> thinking Cullen pulls in seventy million a year because. If I did, I would not be on this show. I heard it's pretty close. But yeah, I mean, (laughs) they're very intentional in everything that they say. And you're right. There's a difference between like, okay, in the NFL's case right now, it's like these teams, let's say they operate at like a 50% margin. So they're making a shit ton of money. And 
oh, okay, this 77 million means that they lose like 25% of their revenues. Well, they still are operating at a 25% profit versus right. like if it was uh, they are operating at a 25% profit or a 25% margin and they lost 30% of their revenues. Then you're like, oh shit, like they're no longer making money. Like they're still doing just fine. There, there right. are no financial real worry. I think we need to look everybody in the eye and just call a spade a spade. Like as a corporation, unless you're insurance or big pharma, everybody's losing money at this point. And so it's like, to me, it's hard to feel sympathy over you still being profitable. Like if the NFL was going kaput and they couldn't operate anymore, that's a different story. But that's not what they're saying. They're crying poor because they're making they're making less money than they did last year and it's like there's no cognizant understanding that there's a pandemic going on you might have to take it on the chin for a year well and the unfortunate part is it trickles down to not only players and employees on the football side or baseball or basketball what hockey whatever it may be but it really trickles down to the employees on the business side that are in the front yeah. office teams even though they've returned to play um, throughout the months of the, of the, like the summer months of the pandemic, I suppose, cut a lot of staff, a still lot are of staff, cutting, still are cutting. Um, so again, it goes, it, it's just tough to see. And, and fortunately you do see some owners who are continuing to pay people and like paid the building staffs while, while there were no, um, activities in arenas specifically like thinking about the NBA. Yeah. It, it's just, it's a shitty situation because you can understand that this billionaire also doesn't like to lose money. They're a billionaire for a reason. Like they didn't get there um, being super lie fair with, with their, uh, with their financials. Right. But uh, when you put it in perspective of how much other people are losing for them to um, remain equal, I suppose can be a little tough. And I can already hear, I'm sure. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, you know, saying we're pocket watching owners, which, <laughs> To a degree, I guess we are, but I I just look at it more as a, I I take more beef with them saying we're hurting so bad, feel bad for us problems. Because when you do that, I think you are calling people to pocket watch you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're putting it out there. You're making it known that you feel like you are struggling and it's tough because it's, it, you can even look at it as like a case study in leadership. It's like if you're, if you're an owner of an NFL team or you're the president of an NFL team and, and you are the leader of the franchise, who's more important, you or your employees and the people who kind of make the machine run from a day-to-day -day basis? You know, a lot of people would say good leaders are like servant leaders and it's, it's about the people who allow them and make things happen on the ground, so on and so forth. But yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see. And, and it's not just something that teams are dealing with. This is happening in companies and in every single industry where you're seeing uh, various different styles of leadership. And uh, I think that's going to play out into which um, organizations, which teams, which brands, whatever it may be across the, the business spectrum are successful both during and at some point after the pandemic is like who had good leadership, who took care of their people, so on and so forth. Um, another thing that was interesting that I saw this week and it kind of fell in line, it, it falls in line with just the coronavirus in general and like brands and people feeling like they need to be very 
um aware and like like just this it's like this weird thing that they feel like they have to be very cognizant of like any little thing that could um encourage somebody to like behave in a way that's maybe not perfect for public safety so espn removed their like long time monday night football song by hank williams and they said it was because of the phrase in the song that says all my rowdy friends are here for for monday night and they said that they thought that that was um basically disrespectful and not appropriate during the coronavirus because they don't want to encourage people to gather on Monday night to watch the football games. <laughs> this follows KFC. KFC, not sports related at all in this instance. KFC like nixed their marketing of finger licking good because they're like, oh, well, you shouldn't be licking your fingers. Not to mention that like, well, if you're already sharing a bucket of chicken with somebody, you're already kind of not doing the social distancing or whatever it is. So if, if you're looking your fingers, it doesn't really matter. But what, and we've seen, there was plenty of brands at the beginning, especially at the beginning of the pandemic who like socially distanced out their logos or like put a mask on their, on their mascot or logo. Yes, that, right. What do you think about this? Are brands doing too much? Um, are they just pandering to people? What are your thoughts? All right. So I want to know just from your, let's, I want to answer your question with a question and then we'll let's do a deep dive. What percentage, and and let's, let's just take a a group of people that we know. So let's take like a, a group of people, let's use our Oregon NBA class. And I know the listeners are probably like, oh, great. We don't even know these people, but you that you're pooling. They're sports knowledgeable people. And if you're a sports knowledgeable person, you can welcome to class. You probably would run circles around most of us. Um, <laughs> Facts. So, so my question is, how many of you, when you hear that Monday Night Football song, or if you see a KFC commercial, were like, you know what I need to do? <laughs> get everyone together because of that song, and let's get within six feet of each other and watch and watch Titans Jags. You know, a, a riveting Monday Night game, like. What what that that song to me doesn't fire up my desire to get together and meet with people. Yeah, yeah. Never once have I been like, oh, Hank Williams said all my rowdy friends are here for Monday night, and like I'm just sitting here by myself. I gotta get my fucking rowdy friends here right now, or else <laughs> it's not even Monday night. Uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm serious. Like that's never happened, and we've watched many a Monday night football games together at, on the green couch, like. And oftentimes it was you and I and a guest like that was it. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, I, I don't know if people are just like bored or if they are like that concerned where they're spending all this time thinking about like, oh shit, like, should we not be saying this? Should we not be like promoting this? Like, are people going to take this in the wrong way? It's like, there's so many other things that you could do as a company, especially as a brand that could make like actual difference than saying like, Oh, well, we're not going to say finger looking good. (laughs) Well, here's a fucking cares. Who's a thought. If you think that the Hank Williams song is a problem and is influencing people to gather, let's go at the root and not support the game. That is actually what's (laughs) bringing people together. Like let's not, if, if the song, I feel like we're misattributing blame here. Like, don't blame the song for people getting together. People are getting together to watch the football game. 
like that's what they're getting together to watch. So if you have a problem with them getting together, then don't play the football game. Oh yeah, you know, but but once you hear all about your rowdy friends, you got you got to get them together. There's only the one thing to do. Now there is some conspiracy out there. Um, Ooh, tin hat, put it on. Because Hank Williams, this this song was like the song of our childhood, Monday Night Football, um, and then it kind of disappeared for a little bit. I think if I recall correctly, in like 2011, 2012, ESPN stopped using it because. Of Hank Williams' personal drama. Yeah, old boy Hank Williams made some comments at the time that were politically charged and largely unpopular. Um, so they kind of like used that as the grounds to get him out of of using that song, and and they kind of took him off the broadcast. But then I believe like two years ago, I can't remember if it was 2017 or 2018, they brought the song back. So I'm almost wondering if like they've gotten some new kickback about like hey this dude said like some stupid shit like 10 years ago you guys got rid of him now you just kind of sneakily brought him back like what the fuck is going on and they're like trying to cover their ass a little bit and say oh we're just getting him out of here because of this not because of like why we actually got him out of here 10 years ago you know food for thought food for thought i you know to me the whole hank williams deal like he definitely had a, a sketchy past uh to say the least this this whole him influencing gatherings um i don't buy it but you know i i the whole the whole thing is just so i I just so strange like everything that's happening is just such a these are unprecedented times i i don't know what else to say anymore (laughs) unprecedented times kfc is no longer finger looking good um, that's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> KFC will always be finger looking good. It, if it's two truths and a lie, I'm taking KFC as, as finger looking good is the truth every time. I personally don't know that KFC has ever been finger looking good, but to each his own. <laughs> now, there's... what? Are you, hold on, hold on. We, we got to unpack this. You can't just gloss over. Are you a church's guy, Popeyes guy? I'm a like I, I'll pass on all that shit personally. Just pass it on chicken. Well, also, I don't think KFC fits in. I don't know that KFC fits into like a group of any other fast food items potentially. No, but we're, we're looking at chicken. It's chicken. Oh. It's like churches, Popeyes, KFC. Well, Chick Fil A for sure. Bougie, just bougie. I mean, if I'm not getting like a bucket of drum legs from a fast food restaurant, like if I want wings, I'll get wings from somewhere like a sports bar or something. Not. But I've heard like Raising Cane's is good. That's like chicken fingers. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I just had we had a KFC. <laughs> this will tell you a lot about Atsigo. Um, the small town. For those who don't know, Atsigo <laughs> is where Ian's from. It is a, a how many traffic lights do y'all have? Well, it's a metropolis of about 4,000 people Woo! Uh, <laughs> and a lot of cornfields. So our KFC was located on basically our main road. And it sat between a, or it currently continues to sit between a trailer park and an auto shop. And KFC used to be the place because of the buffet. And I just remember thinking it was fucking terrible and gross and just thought it was trash from the, from the get go as a child. And uh, probably haven't been to KFC in 15, 20 years. Now let me ask you this: Do do we think there's even the slightest chance that we are 
painting KFC into a corner because we have poor childhood memories of the tire shop KFC chicken that we had from our childhood. Yes, definitely. <laughs> okay, that's fair. As long as we can, we but can. Hey, they put they put themselves there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if location, location, location. That might not have been my my first choice, but you terrible know. franchisee decision on that one. Um, one last thing I wanted to hit really quick before we jump into the uh, the big bear of the week, uh, and just because we're trying to trying to bring a little extra flavor in, into the pod, um, I saw something that in the MLS, uh, St. Louis Soccer Club, which is set to start playing in the MLS in 2023, the MLS is, has been undergoing kind of like serious expansion. Stupid is, fast expansion, like yeah. crazy fast. So they've been expanding. They have plans to add more teams in the next three or four years. Um, St. Louis SC um, opened up their season ticket deposits where people are able to put money down to basically become season ticket holders once they begin play in four years. Um, They collected more than 50,000 season ticket deposits within the first 24 hours. This blew away the MLS record that had been previously set by Austin Austin FC, uh, which was 30,000. MLS is this interesting beast where it's seemingly still very quiet in the kind of American sports lexicon. Do you think it's starting to grow or do you think that this is just a one-off because St. Louis is a sports town and they only have, well, I guess they have two professional sports teams, but do you think it's more, is this more indicative of St. Louis just being a right market for another professional sports team? Or is it indicative of major league soccer actually having some substantial growth within the U S both? I think it, I really think it's both, uh, which is such a cop out law school answer. Uh, but it, it's the truth. Um, I, I think the MLS has been growing for a while, and I really think it's – if you compare the MLS now to where the MLS was in the 90s, it's not even close. I mean, we it's already – the amount of growth that it's done is, is unbelievable. <clears throat> you know, and I'm, I'm the guy who will come to bat for the MLS and just say – and believe me, they've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes along the way. But I think if you look at the fledgling years of all the other leagues, including the NFL, the NBA, and especially baseball – I mean, the MLS, I would tell you, is over the long scale of things looking pretty good, doing pretty good. Um, my concern here is I just think we might be expanding too much too fast um, because your your talent level is already not the highest in, in the world, uh, which as Americans especially, I think we, you know, we we have the best sports leagues in the world period like and the only sport we don't is soccer or football whatever you want to call it uh we where we lack and so i just i'm not sure further watering down your talent is the best strategy uh going forward but um i mean the people in st louis are fired up so like and, and i think and I'll and I'll say this: the MLS, the way they're expanding, they're doing a great job. They're going to markets that are soccer markets that that are soccer people, and which they weren't doing in the past. Um, so I think they're you know slowly learning, and I think they're creating some towns that are 
ravenous for soccer. Um, but who knows? I, I really hope they can they they don't go too much too fast. Yeah, I'm glad you said that if you compare them to now to the 90s, it's a big difference because I think that that's something that even I get caught up in doing is like when you talk about the growth of a sport and it going through different life cycles, like a product life cycle, you got to talk about decades for leagues of sports. You can't, you can't talk about like, Oh, what has MLS done in the past like year or two? It's like, well, what have they done over a 10 year span? Because that's how you're really going to be able to judge whether they're growing, whether they're mature, whether they're potentially declining. Um, So I'm glad you said that because I wasn't even thinking about that. And I think when you look at it in that context, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to deny that they've made a huge push in the U S they're still a distant fifth, probably if, if not, if not even lower, like they, they're probably behind like golf and tennis and NASCAR and all that stuff. So they're still like at the bottom of the American sports watching. Hold on. I don't want to cut you off, but I we have to, because I was called out for my pronunciation of when we had our two minutes of us open talk last week so i need to set the record yeah all right look here uh we're not a us open podcast we're not a tennis podcast podcast tennis got a good two three minutes on the podcast last week i don't want to hear it all right tennis people if you don't like it go go listen to outside the lines uh, clay court edition with bob (laughs) lee all right Back to you in the MLS. That was a uh, that was Collins backhand right down the line, and it's in. <laughs> line judge says it's in. You can see the mark. Um, yeah, I just I I mean I'm I'm not a soccer fan by any means. Um, the most fun I've had with soccer ever was probably when I was um, like eight years old, and then over the past few years messing around playing IM soccer with with the Oregon group. But it's cool to see it grow. I mean, you, being in Chicago, the Chicago Fire, you do see that there are Chicago Fire fans and like they're able to play at Soldier Field. So obviously there's like a, a demand for people to go to games. They've been selling out like watch along parties in the parking lot and doing all types of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think more more sports economy in the U.S. is a good thing. So, yeah, and I'll, I'll say as somebody. So my, for those who don't know, um my first like legitimate full, I mean, I started with the Astros, but I was in high school and it's like a ticketing intern deal. So I don't even really, I mean, it was a great experience. I don't want to say I don't count it because I do. Um, so, but let's say my first like job, job, like got checks, like did work in sports was with the Dynamo. I worked for the Dyna- the Houston Dynamo, which is an MLS soccer team for those keeping score at home. Um, and so, I, I mean, I started in the MLS and even from when I started to now, it, it, it the growth is unbelievable. I, I stand by that. I think they're doing a great job, even though, you know, Houston is kind of a, a, a different. They're having problems and I, we can I don't want to I don't really think we're a Houston Dynamo podcast, so I don't want to dive too much into this, but <laughs> um, the league itself has a lot of just rock star teams that are doing really really well and then they have a lot of duds um that are kind of that are that are you know hurting and so it's i think the mls is kind of caught in between this we have some really really just crazy good markets that are carrying us and then others that aren't and so i think you're kind we're kind of caught now in the that where they learned 
those markets that help and learn those markets that where they need to be, but they still are holding on to those, those older markets that, you know, aren't so good right now. And they're trying to, they've got two different marketing plans going on for two different sets of teams they have in the league. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up as well, because that that's something I'm curious about. So it's like right now they have 26 teams, which has even grown. I mean, there's been multiple teams that have joined in the past, like four, four years. I'm seeing like Atlanta United in 2017, FC Cincinnati, yep. 2019, Inter Miami, 2020, Nashville. Minnesota was Minnesota FC's up there. LA FC should be yeah. recent. So in the past three years, you've gone from like 15 or 16 to 26. Now you're going to 30. And when you look at the teams, the four future teams, Austin, Charlotte, Sacramento, and St. Louis, those are very different markets than your traditional Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Houston, Atlanta. Do you think that they'll be able to remain at this 30 or do you think that they'll ultimately end up cutting some of these teams that are maybe in traditional sports markets that just aren't really fulfilling what the MLS is doing? Because to me, it feels like the MLS is having most success in markets that are more of like a minor league market market or underserved by professional sports. Uh, I agree. I I 100% agree with you. That seems to be, and there are exceptions. So, like, please. Atlanta is a huge exception. Yes. Like, Atlanta was the one I was going to. I was going to be like, all you Dirty Bird fans, please don't come scorch us because Atlanta (laughs) FC is, is. Yeah, they sell out. They sell out the Mercedes. They sell out where the Falcons play for games. Right. Seattle. Seattle's another one that I would tell you that doesn't fit the mold. So, like, Seattle only has one professional sports team. Uh, the Kraken are already well, upset at you. Yeah, well, they haven't played yet, so and they, they count. Yeah, they yeah. count. But the, when the Sounders were created, the Kraken were a, a not even a pipe dream. Sure. Okay. So, but so does that mean you think that the the Kraken or excuse me, the Sounders are going to lose fan lose fans now? No, because I think you look at it where they're still only going to have a total of three sports teams. They're going to have the Seahawks. They'll have the Kraken, and they'll have the Sounders. Um. So I, I think that they'll be just fine. And also because the Sounders are are as established as, oh, fuck. Well, they have the Mariners too. Um, <laughs> Do so, they have the Mariners? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's maybe a different one as well. But you look at like Portland. Um, Portland is like Portland and Seattle seem to be the, the golden standard for like MLS operations. Yeah. Atlanta. I mean, Portland is. To me, Portland is your ideal soccer market because those hipsters like and honestly, (laughs) baseball, too. Like, like baseball should hurry up and get that third spot in Portland because those hipsters will bring back baseball in Portland for sure. Do you Um, think there's any chance the A's move to Portland? I mean, we've talked about it. (laughs) We've talked about it a lot. And I love this topic of conversation, but. Uh, I, all right, you say any chance? Yes, I think there's some chance. Do I think it's over fifty percent at this point? No. Yeah, the A's are in a weird spot, man, because they're still holding on to this idea that they're gonna build a ballpark by the water at Howard Terminal, and it's gonna look dope. And the renderings have come out, but at the same time, like their entire front office is turned over. Like their COO left, their head of revenue and sales left. So it's like. 
Can we can we put a pin? Let's let's. I want to ask you about Oakland, the city of Oakland. Like, and I watched I watched Last Chance You, which uh, the new the new season that's at haven't Laney watched College. it yet. Haven't watched it. All yet. right. Well, well, you need to watch it. It's at Laney, uh, which is in Oakland, and I I've been to Oakland twice now. Um, and I by I don't want people to be like, oh wow, he's been there twice. He's pretty much city welcome center at this point. <laughs> um, but the my point was between going twice, like I went. What was it? Was it nineteen with y'all, or was it eighteen? That was the spring of two thousand eighteen. Okay, so eighteen. Then I went, I think, in twelve. So a six year gap in between my two visits to Oakland, and just the amount of growth and like what's changed in that six year period was unbelievable. And so I'm sitting here saying like, obviously San Francisco is still growing and there's nowhere for these people to go. You're seeing it, you know, with the warriors moving across the Bay, blah, blah, blah. People are getting pushed into Oakland and Oakland's getting gentrified and we can talk about, you know, the woes of gentrification, all that stuff. That's not my point. My point is, Oakland is growing. Oakland is a city that is getting bigger, and yet you're seeing teams, sports franchises, looking at the A's, looking at the Raiders. Um, the Warriors. And, yeah, the Warriors too. Everybody's leaving. Um, are we going to look at this in five years, ten years, whatever the number is, and be look at Oakland and then also let's just take a minute, hot breath and look at what's happening to Vegas as – with this pandemic and how hard they're taking it on the chin um, and how they're trying to scramble to get digital as fast as they can. Uh, is this leaving Oakland going to be a mistake? Yeah. Uh, it's, I think you, you bring up a great point of like one, it it's, it is due to a lot of gentrification, but Oakland is growing and, and, and like the socioeconomic value of Oakland is increasing via gentrification. Just from some of the things I've read about the A's specifically, and I guess really when you think about the the Raiders as well, it seems like they have a lot of issues with attempting to get public money for stadiums. Um, and I think that that's why teams are are leaving because, of course, as we know, owners want to pay as little money as they have to for their own stadiums. They want the public and the community to chip in. So if Oakland is kind of taking a hard stance of saying like, hey, we're not just going to float you a bunch of money to build stadiums, which I think is kind of admirable by communities. Like you're, you're talking about billionaires here who are trying to take public tax money to build stadiums that they are going to directly profit off of and maybe or maybe not build economic development that helps the city but because they're the developer they're still making the most money off of it anyways um so how much is it community service how much is it is oh i can just fill my pockets in this other way as well i wonder if that's the case if the city of oakland is just taking a hard stance and and uh kind of forcing teams to decide whether they want to build there with their own money or go go take public money elsewhere i don't know I also want to throw the the tax ramifications in the taxes in California versus the taxes in Nevada. Using the Raiders as an, as an example, um, even Phil Knight, un- cousin Uncle Phil that we have at U of O, he has his retirement home in Nevada uh, for tax purposes. He he says I I heard that at a uh, 
his shoe dog book unveiling, book yeah. signing, excuse me. Uh, He's a resident so, of Nevada. <laughs> yes, he claims Nevada residency. So uh, I, I just, to me, it seems like Oakland is a market that's emerging, that's coming out, that is is something a market that you would want to be. And if you're, I, I get it, the public money side of things, but it just seems like a place that could blow up into something and, and and kind of bringing us full circle back to the MLS. Maybe this is a market the MLS looks at to get into uh, yeah. on their road to 30 teams. Yeah. Because when you look at Oakland fan bases, you're primarily talking about the Raiders and the A's and you're comparing the Raiders with the 49ers and the A's with the giants. And while you could say that the Raiders and A's fan bases are smaller than the Giants and Niners, you could also say that they're much more connected and like passionate to the organization. And when you think about what the MLS is looking for, they don't, I don't necessarily think they're looking for large fan bases. They're looking for connected fan bases. So you could be absolutely right. You're saying the Giants are are more con- or more passionate than the than the A's fans is what you're saying, or the other way around? Other way around. So like, gotcha, gotcha, the gotcha. Niners and the Niners and Giants are the more like popular team to be a fan of. Uh, they have an easier time selling out games, even though the Niners play way the fuck not in San Francisco. Um, so the A's fan base and the Raiders fan base are relatively smaller. They also seem to be much more passionate, much more connected to the team, much more ride or die. Yeah. Would you rather back when the Raiders were in Oakland, uh, that fan base is the last one I would want to meet in the dark alley. Like the <laughs> last fan base I would want to meet in the dark alley is the Raiders fan base, uh, quickly followed by the Dodgers fan base. Uh, quick, <laughs> yeah, quickly. Jesus. So uh, proven that whew, bunch of cheaters down there in the Dodgerville. <laughs> All right, let's uh let's get into the big bear of the week. Okay, so we want to get into the Big Ten. Big Ten announced that the Big Ten is gonna come back and play starting October 23rd, October 24th, with an eight-game schedule, um, plus a championship week for the ninth game, uh, which I think is actually interesting. I, I think that's kind of a cool thing to do. There's a lot to get into here. Where do you want to try and start this thing? Uh, let let's start it. Let's start it at the beginning because that's what they said it was all about in the beginning. It was the health and safety of the players. Let's start it there. Uh, did all did the health and safety of the players, um, or and or fans, whoever, did that all of a sudden change from, uh, whenever August, late August, they made the decision, to now. Um, I would say kind of. So I don't think the the chance of transmission has remained the same, I would say, because you're still talking about college athletes on a college campus, which has other college which students. Chance of transmission, that's high. Let's let's call it still yep. CDC calls it high. Everybody calls it high. So let's not like just the chance. It's still a high chance. Yeah. So I think the chance of transmission has remained the same. Um, however, the ability to, um, detect and then kind of trace, especially now in the big 10 with the, um, kind of the, uh, procedures that they're going to follow has gotten significantly better. So their argument is that 
because we are going to test every day, um, we'll be able to find positive tests much quicker and before they would hypothetically be able to spread throughout an entire team. Um, so because of that, they're actually safer, which then kind of gets us into a lot of other optical issues that they're, that they are dealing with as universities. Right. Which the, the king of those optical issues is we're prioritizing football over the rest of your campus. Now here's an interesting, I got into a good conversation about this with my guy, DJ yesterday. Um, Ooh, big DJ guy. <laughs> because there's a lot of stats that have come out about, especially with Michigan, because Michigan's campus has been a fucking clusterfuck firestorm for the past couple weeks. The, they voted a, they cast a no confidence vote. The uh, Senate, the faculty Senate um, passed a vote of no confidence in the president of the university. Um, at one point over the past few weeks, the dining hall staff, the resident hall advisors and the GSIs, which is like your grad student instructors, um, TAs in other places, same thing. They were all on strike, like not working. So nobody working in the dining halls. The RAs said, fuck it. The kids can do whatever they want. And uh, GSIs weren't teaching section classes or like grading papers, doing any of the things that they do. The university actually like threatened legal action against them, which is an interesting move to like try and sue your students who are protesting against you for fucking them over. But regardless, so lots, lots coming out of Michigan campus and a lot is being a lot of like pressure is being put on Michigan's campus. And then they announced that the big Ten's coming back. They're going to do daily antigen testing. So just for the football program at the university of Michigan, for the people involved, the estimate is that a thousand tests a week will be ran for the football program. Currently the entire school is able to process about 1500 tests per week for the, you know, if you'd count all students and staff, faculty, you're probably talking about 50 to 60,000 people. You're able to process 1500 tests a week. And the process to get one of those tests is very difficult. Um, apparently you have to hit a bunch of different check boxes. Basically you have to know that you have the, the virus already to be able to get a test. And then it's like a three to five day turnaround time. So it's a shit show. So Optically, it looks terrible because you're like, well, the football team is going to get a thousand tests a week for like 200 people. And that's two thirds for those keeping score at home. Yeah, two thirds for like a, a very small percentage of the people. Here's the one thing that comes in that I think, I think we need to refocus our anger away from saying, well, they shouldn't play football because they're getting all the tests to this is an institutional failure. But even this scenario that I'm about to put out only really um, applies to Michigan and a handful of other schools whose athletic departments are completely separate from the university financially. Because you can make the argument that the athletic department at the University of Michigan is its own separate entity. It is responsible for the care of its student athletes. That's what they're supposed to use their budget for. They are using their budget to pay for these thousand tests a week. And it's not their fault that the university isn't using their billions of dollars in endowment to fund the same level of testing for students. So I think that that's an argument that's actually rather fair um, and does more show that while the university isn't taking care of their own students and then did uh, vote to allow football to happen, knowing that football is able to afford 
and is more willing to pay for more robust testing. But at the end of the day, like we said at the beginning, there's only a few athletic departments that can even say that because a isn't lot it, of them, isn't it isn't it only three in the whole country that operate that way? Well, it's what it's it's Michigan, Texas, Ohio State. I I thought Notre Dame was the Notre Dame does for sure. So maybe it's three or four. Okay, but regardless, <clears throat> so even in that sense, it's like you can make a little bit of an argument and say like, let's let's make sure that we are. Um, kind of being heated at the right people but at the very least it's horribly but, but hold on be be he, be heated at the right people like it, this is and we're both michigan guys if people listening don't know that and already i don't yeah i don't but, but we're i would say we're michigan people and yeah. if you don't know that as listeners like i don't know where you what you've been listening to because <laughs> it wasn't us but um it's to me the bad part is the school is now the whole time they've been so proud that they're independent and their athletic department is over in this world and and university is over in this world and we keep everything separate and then now they're trying to cross over and they're trying to get the best of both worlds in my eyes they're 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 trying to say hey we're 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 bringing back football we care about football while we're not giving it the same treatment that the university gets you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i follow so you're saying basically even though the athletic department and the university are separate financial entities um their tides rise at the same level right right they should <laughs> under the model like and and now it's not and which is the traditional like other 162 athletic departments in the country that where the athletic department gets more treatment or got better treatment than right. the university. Well, and it's, it's showing that this is like presidents of these universities or chancellors, whoever they are, whatever their official title is basically acknowledging what we've been talking about where a football program, while if a football program completely went away, would your university completely shut down? No. But in especially the power five, in a lot of instances, if you didn't have there'd football, be some noticeable changes, <laughs> there'd be some noticeable <laughs> changes. Entire campuses have been built off of a five or six year run in football. You can look at West Virginia. You can look at Louisville, Iowa. You can look at Iowa. You could look at Baylor. Probably uh, you can look at yeah, uh, Boise State, like entire campuses missouri missouri when fucking chase daniel was there and they were like kind of toying around in the big shout out mad dog missouri's like admissions and enrollment like doubled over the course of like that four or five year football run where they had chase daniel and blaine gabbert yeah the flutie effect i mean it's (laughs) the same same it's the the flutie effect hasn't gone away and i and watching miami last night you're gonna have another in my in Miami applications too like it's it's gonna happen like that's the foodie effect is a real thing yep because a lot of people you know obviously some of these schools especially when you talk about Michigan are elite level academic institutions I mean we're talking elite level Michigan is consistently ranked as like the number one public university in the United States you know a top public university in the world it's not easily said to none. And yeah, we will flex it because we paid a lot for some pieces of paper from that university sure did. <laughs> and, and put in some blood, sweat and tears along the way as well. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting to see that 
I I worry now. I'm very conflicted because, like we've said, I love football. Michigan football is is one of few loves of mine. Um, so at the end of the day, I know I'm going to be excited to watch them play. I'm happy for the players and the staff. This is obviously what they wanted. Like they're not being forced to do this. This is what they wanted. Um, I know people in the building still. It's what they want. So I'm like, hey, I'm I'm with you. Keep keep collecting checks and like let's go do this thing. Um, I'm excited to watch the team play. But it is like, it's just, it's, uh, it's difficult to, on one hand, see that games are still being canceled every week. Florida State's coach just tested positive. Um, yeah. And the Big Ten is saying, we're actually going to go play. And I just worry that it sets a dangerous precedent for colleges and universities to like, now do you bend to any sort of public pressure? And, and some will be good. Some are good, like, concessions to be made where you need to reevaluate. Like, there's going to be times where that's a good exercise. Whether this it falls into that bucket or not, time will tell. But there's also going to be times where if you fold, it's the wrong decision. And usually universities and presidents and chancellors in power have been known to not fold at all, and they're very, like, steadfast on their decision. That's all out the window now because – gone. It, they completely they folded in half, bent over backwards, tried to rewind, rewind like the entire tape, and now make it seem like they're heroes. And, and I want to kind of go back to something I said last week, and and because I I think the Big Ten is really driven at home. We're living in this world where there seems to be two camps forming, where it's like the we don't want sports played camp and uh, we love sports play them no matter what camp mm. like and, and to me the, they don't they're not separate like that and that's what i'm i might i'm seeing as a problem because i don't but i i think it, it just if you think there's a public health concern much less crisis like we're at and you believe it's not safe to play sports we shouldn't play sports like that's what I'm saying. Like, if that's where we're at, and and to me, the Big Ten came out and said it is unsafe to play sports, which which f- football especially. Like, I, I, but I think now you're seeing them go. Oh well, we we put our hands in the air. We expected all the other conferences to come with us when we made that decision, and now that they haven't, and they're making all this money and we're not, we feel bad. We're going to go back and play now because we've seen that they can do it. And, and, and to me, yes, I'm excited about the fact that they're playing football. I enjoy sports. But it just – it there's so much just rotten to the core about what we're doing as people here. Like, it, there, it's just it's, – it's really um, – there's dissonance, if you will – on just how to feel about all of this. Uh, and I'm, I'm struggling reconciling it. Well, and it's been very polarized where uh, Twitter and the internet will tell you that if you think sports shouldn't be played due to public health, then you hate sports. Right, which is not true. Which is, yeah, the furthest from the truth. But you're right. It's not, there isn't a Venn diagram of those two groups. They're two circles not even really floating around in the same universe. (laughs) They're they're in completely different space-time continuums. 
yeah, it's uh, I thought it was funny too that the Big Ten, because let's not get into it too far. Um, but we know obviously that um, Senior Trump has a, a a pulse on this and is has already tried to use this decision for his own gain. So I did like that the Big Ten kind of threw in a little underlying jab of like we're taking our our daily tests from private industry, not from the government and not from President Trump. Um, so I kind of liked that for whatever it was worth. I also do like, I mean, the, the policies that they put in place are incredibly strict, incredibly yeah, strict. And I think you're seeing, that's why you're seeing so many games canceled every week, which, which is a, I think a beautiful transition into let's fast forward because at this point, nobody, they're not, there's no way. And I'm telling you zero chance in the world. I, this is my. Lock of the week, best bet of the week, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> this is mine. Um, there's no chance that they stop now. Like we're we're going. It's happening. Football, college football is happening. Um, what does the college football playoff look like? How do you how do you reconcile an uh, all only conference schedule or whatever eight plus one conference schedule? Uh, the timing now is all messed up. Like you've got the SEC, ACC playing now. Big Ten doesn't start for a month. Pac-12, I don't know. UCLA and USC are seemingly in. The rest of the Pac-12 is – oh, Arizona is in. But I don't know what the rest of the Pac-12 is doing. They're still waiting on their state legislature. I mean, the MAC is, has voted, voted yesterday or voted the day before. No, They're they met and said that they are not – like at a point where they're going to vote again yet, okay. but they're in conversations. Okay. So we even might have Tuesday night Maction coming back here in a few weeks. And guess like, what? It'll be on my fucking TV if it's on. Yeah. I, more <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sure. But I, I just, it, 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 this whole thing, man, it, there's nothing about 2020 that's been, I like, just crack a beer and watch the game. Like enjoy the game. You know, like it's nothing, no, none of that. It's always like this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's get to the college football playoff. So this now I'm basically going to regurgitate a bunch of shit I heard on College Game Day yesterday. Um, Ooh. So Desmond, Desmond, um, David Pollock, Kirk. You know really kind of getting into some of this stuff because it, it is the big question is like, well, what the fuck are they going to do for the college football playoff? Now the big 10 is slated to um, basically end the championship week, December 19th, which hypothetically is like the day before the final college football playoff voting now. Um, so I do think you'll have like sec, ACC and big 12 teams who haven't played in a couple weeks at the time of that final voting. And I mean, we're going to have potentially teams who play six games and potentially teams who play like 10 games. And what they were talking about is like, it's going to be the eye test. Like it's going to be a strict eye test for the most part within like a few losses. Uh, David Pollock brought this up and I'm all for it. I think it was, I think it's brilliant. This is the year out of any years. Let's blow this college football playoff out to eight teams. Ooh. Ooh, why not? Like in you have the perfect scenario now because everybody's just doing whatever. There, there is no like tradition or 
general op- like standard operating procedures for football this year at all. So let's fucking so, let's get eight right. teams in that bitch. So are you doing plus five, more money? So, oh, right, way more money. They're they're probably for it. But my question is, how do you pick the eight? Do you do the five conference, five power five conference champs, and three at larges, or do you do? How do you? How, what are you? What are you giving the power fives? Yeah, I think they would have to do the power five champions. Um, and then three at large with a minimum of one from the group of five. Minimum of one from the group. Okay. So you've got UCF coming in or whoever. Cincinnati is my pick on that one. Ooh, Cincinnati, not a bad pick. Um, okay. I like now, that. Now maybe they would put in a stipulation where like they have to kind of like they did for like the BCS, I think, where it was like a, a group of five team has to be in like the top tw- ranked in the top 12 at the end of the year to be like considered for an at large bid or something for a bowl. So maybe they would throw some stipulations behind that. So that if like the best group of five team was six and three, like they don't get into the playoff. Um, but I think there's going to be a group of five team that goes undefeated probably or loses one game. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I think. I think you go the, the, the power five champions or four, if the PAC 12 doesn't get back, whatever happens. And then you go your three at large with, with one of those slots reserved for a group of five, if they hit the the right criteria and then you're off and running. And you think about this is the year they need to make up revenue. Um, you might as I mean, what's the what's the con of blowing it out to eight teams this year? I, I don't think there's a con. I mean, I'm for it. The con is just on a normal year, you're playing, you're putting too much on them. It's too much yeah. football on yeah, their body. Cause, but Because then you'd be potentially playing, what, 15 games? Yeah, 15, 15 games, 16 games. Yeah. 16 if you go all the way to the national championship. What am I thinking? It says 13, 13 on the regular season plus your conference championship. Round of eight, round of four, round of two. Yeah, so that would be sixteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I mean, that's a big, it's a big season. It's right, a big that's season. a per- you're a professional at that point. You've played a sixteen game season. Yep, and yeah, yeah. So that would be interesting. But I, I would love to see that happen. I would love to see that happen. One thing I wanted to hit, um, because it just hit my brain. Um, what I'm very curious to see about college football in general is. I mean, I don't even think we can say that testing has gone well to this point because, like we've said, every <laughs> week multiple games have been canceled, including teams from Power 5 conferences have had games canceled. Teams that have played one week, the next week they have to cancel their game because they have positive tests. So it's certainly not all coffee and roses right now. But for the most part, you could say that we haven't had a big team I mean, Florida State's head coach is like the biggest uh, media story about somebody testing positive so far. The, the point I'm getting at is my, I expected at the beginning for the college teams for these first few weeks to be able to keep it pretty locked down because they're excited to play. They don't want to fuck it up. So they're going to be in the building or they're going to be in their places of residence and they're going to be basically locked down and they're going to be able to be responsible for like maybe even a month. Are they able to do it for three, four months? That's a long time. I mean, professional they athletes haven't, haven't even done it. Do it. They haven't even done it for a week. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, true. But I mean, at a large spread, we're like, well, the entire conference isn't playing games this week. I, I mean, I, look, there's so much. 
I don't think that just given the record of what's gone on, they haven't done a good job con- keeping it contained already. One, two, I'm and and call it distrust in the media, call it distrust in anybody, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. There's not a single fiber in my body that feels it, just from working in college football that trusts a head co- a head football coach to get coronavirus results and give them honestly to the media every week or give them on it. Maybe not to the media, whoever give them to the, to the powers that be. If Trevor Lawrence comes down with coronavirus is Dabo Sweeney keeping Trevor Lawrence out of the Miami game this year. But just because I watched Miami last night and they looked stupid, good on offense for the first time in the decade, but in the first time since like 2002. Yeah. I just bring back Ray Lewis. I just, but does if we're going into Miami week and Trevor Lawrence comes down with coronavirus, looking at you and just right now, you have a thousand dollars and a gun to your head. Where do you put the thousand dollars? That Dabo Sweeney says Trevor Lawrence has coronavirus or not? Uh, that he does not, especially if he doesn't have any symptoms. So that's and that's one of the big questions I've had is who is in charge of the testing and the tracing? Is I so, can't and imagine it's and, and that's what I well that's what I, I'm telling you is a lot of the issues that I'm seeing is because you have one not, the conferences aren't even doing it the same so but then even go even further everybody in the Big Ten isn't doing it the same the University of Illinois is testing themselves and the University of Michigan's using a private uh, private company uh, and I don't have the list of what all Big Ten teams are doing in front of me at the moment so. It's on the internet. You can find it of what they're all doing, but they're all doing different things. So how do you police that? Nobody's following the same rules on their testing or they're not even using the same tests. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. And I mean, we've seen um, compliance issues get wiped under the rug, not even reported by the compliance people. Like we've already seen levels of, um, of uh, corruption like Uh, yeah i mean that's the word it is we've seen it so it's not out of the realm of like that's why we believe that this is a great possibility because we've seen it happen with things that are seemingly like much smaller of an issue that happen all the time all the time all the time literally all the time every football like everywhere too everywhere oh it's i i like and, and yeah, it's rampant, rampant everywhere. And that's why, I mean, I'm sitting here saying, I don't believe them. Like, I don't believe because, because, and it comes back to the main issue. You're a head coach. Your job depends on the success of an 18 year old man, like period. Like you, you, your millions of dollars that you're being paid each year depends on how well this 18 to 22 year old man performs at a game. And if you're coming into one of the biggest games of the year and he can't play because of some test, you will do everything in your power to sweep that under the rug so it doesn't affect your pocket. Yeah. Test him again. Test him again. Test him again. False negative. False negative. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And I think, I mean, the SEC kicks off next week. The ACC kind of kicks off in more earnest next week. It's going to be interesting once you start to see these big time conference games happening with big time teams. We're going to we're going to find out pretty quick how things are going. But you're also hearing teams talk about like, "Oh yeah, we're pretty sure most of our players had it back in 
uh, in the fall or or not yeah, oh, in yeah, the summer. Coach O, Coach O, yeah, I think like seventy five percent of our team already had it. You know, maybe we like told them to go out to parties and get it then. But yeah, who when knows? I think when I think doctor, I think Coach O. But <laughs> but let's but let's also how long are the campuses going to be able to stay open? Because yeah, even in e- question. even in even in the old stinky P here in Peoria. Uh, the local university, Bradley, which Bradley Grave, uh, shout out, yes, shout him out, shout him out. You uh, can probably catch him in your NCAA tournament every year. Yep. Uh, <laughs> even them, they they made you. They made it literally eight days on campus, uh, eight to ten days. Uh, sorry, I don't go to Bradley, but it was I live here. Eight to ten days, they made it on campus, and now they had to, they sent everyone home, shut campus down. Uh, for at minimum two week quarantine of being online, like, and I get it. That's Bradley. We're talking University of Texas. We're talking University of Michigan. That's fine. Uh, I hear you. But at the same time, who's to say that Michigan and Texas are immune from the same things that are happening on this college campus? Because they happen everywhere. Well, and it is happening. Michigan State this week. Um, even though Michigan State is all online, students are still obviously on campus. Um, and Michigan State has asked all of their students to quarantine. We saw North Carolina go all online. We saw North Carolina State go all online. We saw Notre Dame had to shut it down for a couple of weeks. And then you get into this question that we've talked about from the very beginning, where in that situation, how does the NCAA model still work? Now, I kind of want to put a pin in that for today because um, a guest that we're going to have on soon in the next few episodes that's a question i want to ask her and get get some of her opinion on but this is a this is this overarching question that we've been struggling with since april april and may of like in the ideal situation for college football to be able to work it does not follow the ncaa model it just doesn't that is what we call ladies and gentlemen a professional tease right there that was (laughs) that was very well done so uh, let's let's take this time, um, dive into a quick dedicated segments of the week before we hop into our Fantasy Five. You have one that we want to save for the end um, after Monday's best bet. I have a money move of the week that I wanted to quickly touch on because it, 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 it really hit me last night as I was watching SVP's Midnight Sports Center after um, kind of the college football games had wrapped up and after the um, Celtics Heat Game 3 had wrapped up. I just am in awe and really impressed by SVP Sports Center inside the NBA with Ernie, Kenny, Chuck, and Charles, uh, Shaq, Shaq, and Charles, um, as well as College Game Day. Those are like three sports shows that are must watch television in a time of um, a short burst digital content world. Um, I found myself on Friday night after the Lakers um, Nuggets game. That game got done at like 10 o'clock central time. I was thinking about, oh, maybe I'll watch a movie. Like I got a lot of time. I can like play some video games, do whatever I want. And then all of a sudden I watch inside the NBA for the next two hours. So I think it's cool that they, those three shows in particular have kind of found a way to remain sports talk shows um, but they've found a way to be relevant in this new consumption world that is very digital, very clip heavy, and very short burst. Um, 
so really, really cool to see and love those three programs. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. Um, I think SVP has uh, revolutionized what Sports Center was, um, yeah, especially at night. Uh, like, just completely flipped it on its ear, and and it needed it. And yes, the inside inside the NBA, it's not even close. It is the best basket professional basketball talk in there is in the market like to talk all 30 teams and and it's the best it's not even close um i don't even think anything else is even on the same planet as inside the nba uh and the same thing goes with college game day there's literally there's nothing that holds a candle to it uh and i hope they keep going like i hope they don't get stagnant yep yep let's uh let's have you lead us into the fantasy five this week so we caught some heat for not doing a fantasy five last week. I don't know if you got. We text did messages. catch some heat. We yeah, did. I got. I definitely got a few text messages about no fantasy five last week. So uh, thank you for enduring the pain. The pain of the one week that we didn't have one. <laughs> um, but for for uh, those who don't know, the fantasy five each week, Ian, each week minus one. Uh, Ian and I pick a team of five uh, items that fit within a particular topic, and we pit them against each other. Um, and because we live in a society, supposedly, uh, and it separates <laughs> us from the animals, uh, we use the snake system. So, um, this week in honor of my sister, uh, going to LSU, uh, Ed Ogeron, Coach O, you know, the Jambalaya. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Uh, in honor of him and LSU, uh, allowing fans into their stadium, however, not allowing tailgating, um, <laughs> uh, we are going to do the best tailgate foods um, to have at a college football game. So best tailgate foods to have at a college football game. Uh, Ian did win last week or two weeks ago. That's right, right? You did win two no, weeks ago? No, I thought oh! you won two weeks ago. Then maybe I did. Hold on. Well, now we have to fact check. If I recall correctly, it was something I thought that I was going to win, and then I did not win. Oh, yeah. It was uh, Marvel movies. Oh, I whooped that ass too. Black Panther was the uh, was the laptop of Marvel movies. It yeah, seemed. I uh, yeah, I completely forgot we did Marvel movies. Wow. Uh, all right. So you're looking at your winner. Uh, <laughs> didn't even know it. Uh, Devastating. But, you know, when we take a day, uh, take a day, week off, you're you're just really out of it. So, all right. This week's topic: best tailgate fruits. Ian, I don't think there is a clear cut number one. So in a rare instance, I am going to seed the number one pick over to you. Yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. Um, I am going to go ahead and take jalapeno poppers as Ooh. the number one overall pick. See, that's that's a good pick. Uh, I have I have not a whole lot of beef with that. It was on my big board. Um, all right, but uh, I am a Texan at heart. And so I'm, I, you know, we do the tailgate game a little different down in Texas. Um, but so I'm going to take brisket as the number, my number one pick, because that is the number one tailgate item you do, uh, in Texas. So brisket, welcome aboard. Um, I'm also, I'm also going to probably take a mid, a more Midwestern, uh, turn here on uh, here. I'm going loaded potato skins, uh, loaded potato skins out of, out of the, uh, with the, with the two picks. So, uh, you can put anything you want in it. It's just nice, solid crunch 
soft, same time. Good stuff. <laughs> Not sure what you're talking about there. Um, <laughs> so with the fourth and fifth overall picks, second and third for my team, I am going to just keep moving down my big board here and take Buffalo chicken dip. Dang. Add to my okay. score. Add to my score. My I had squad. them on my big board too, but uh, toward the bottom. So good pick. And then I'm going to go with uh, what I've aptly named the adult Lunchable, and that's the trifecta of meat, cheese, and crackers. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? So, you meat, know. cheese, and crackers? Yeah, like this. I, maybe this is just huge like in my family or tailgates that I've been to, but you've got a plate with a bunch of different like salami or different like summer sausage, oh, like a, like bunch a of meats, like yeah, a bunch board. of meats, bunch of cheese, crackers mm. or like pretzels, and you you stack them up, make little sandwiches. I love that shit, big time. Man, I need to come to this bougie ass burly tailgate. I mean, we're not talk, we're talking like uh, we're not talking like brie cheese here. We're we're talking you know big old blocks of uh, Colby Jack or Pepper Jack, maybe a little sharp cheddar. Ooh. Is it ooh sharp cheddar? Not even the mild stuff. I like it. No, no, come on. I, what in what in life is worth doing in a mild way? <laughs> Good point. Good point. Uh, all right, I I see it. Um, and so that's probably going to spur my my next choice. Um, I'm going to take chips and guacamole uh, as as my next pick. Uh, I think it's a solid tailgate option. Good guac fits well with my brisket. Um, uh, and, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna take another staple. Uh, it's also hits home, you know, with the, with my job. So, uh, chili cheese dog, mm. uh, just straight up chili cheese dog. Uh, gotta have it at your tailgate. So welcome aboard. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. This was something I, I was maybe going to ask or meant to ask before we started, but there's, there seems to be a, a little bit of a difference in our, like, um, eatability of our of our tailgate items whether something is handheld and rather clean versus potentially messy and like maybe you got to sit down to eat i'm always curious as to if people have preferences of tailgate food based on how they have to eat it that's a good that's a good question because see i my brisket definitely needs to be on a plate and your chili, like your chili cheese dog, probably got. Oh I mean, no no no! You can hold a chili cheese dog. If you, if you don't have chili running down your hand when you're eating a chili <laughs> cheese dog, you're not doing it right, um, and you're not getting the full experience. So correct that about yourself. Well, I mean, it can't be finger looking good in these times. So you're going to need yourself a napkin. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but we get, there's no KFC at my tailgate yet. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So that leaves me to my last two picks here. Wow. I'm uh, going just one through five on my big board here. I'm going to go meatballs. Okay. Uh, Not on my big board, but great pick. Specifically being able to have a toothpick and just pop those things right nope, in your mouth. No, uh-uh, no. If I can't be finger licking good, you can't use the same toothpick in the meatballs over well, and over. That's but, a foul. Well, yeah, I guess that does probably fall into the same Rona bucket. So that's fair enough. Um, then my last one, this this is probably a little bit of a hot take, um, but I am going to go with like a deli meat slider. I, explain. So generally, I mean, everybody knows what a slider is, but generally you would think it's like a burger or chicken or something like that. Yeah. I, I like, Just give me like a, like a ham and cheese or like club or something slider. 
Ian Burley, king of the king of the deli meat. You've heard it here first. Uh, he'll tell you all about this week's uh, cut of gabagool and uh, salami. He's got this, you. This just goes into, I mean, outside of buffalo chicken dip, where you got to have your chips and your dip. Obviously, when I think about tailgate food, I want something that I'm able to. I'm standing up, walking around, something that I can easily just eat with my hands and have it be uh, relatively a small mess so that did go that was a large part of my decision making process and that was part of the reason that these deli meat sliders found their way just taking up the board one spot after another well see all right well uh, next with my this is my last pick um <laughs> i'm gonna take a another southern staple i've come to realize that uh this didn't make this didn't know not many people know what this is so i'm gonna have to explain it um Taking a Frito pie. Uh, uh, people don't know what that is? Well, they didn't. I sold it at an event here in Peoria uh, last week, and I can't tell you how many people came up asking what a, a Frito pie was. Well, is it a walking taco? Oh, it's such – no. Uh, I mean, kind of. Yes. <laughs> no. Like it sounds a, like no. yes. <laughs> no. Like a walking taco is such – that's like Doritos, and it's like not a Frito product only walking taco i've ever had is a bag of fritos opened up crunched the fritos put in all the taco shit and you're off and running all right well so a frito pie is just chili and cheese that's it in the frito bag right in the frito bag yeah gotcha. yeah so it sounds, it's literally just sounds chili, delicious chili cheese if you really want to get wild i'll allow jalapenos um please but but that's it nothing else if you put tomatoes if you put lettuce if you put anything else in there not frito pie Lettuce is um, stupid. It, <laughs> and, in that sense, and, lettuce is stupid. And a lot of people from Texas, I will let you slide, but a lot of people from Texas would get mad if your chili that you used had beans in it. So, hmm. uh, interesting. That's a, yeah, that's definitely a big, a big debate. Like no in beans Texas, in Texas chili. No, absolutely not. So it's just sauce and meat, basically, and vegetables. Yeah. Yeah, it's chili con carne. I mean, it's literally that's all it is. That's okay. our chili. Okay. Um, interesting. Okay, so we've got our teams here. I'll read mine off first. I have jalapeno poppers, buffalo chicken dip, the adult lunchable, aka a, a charcuterie board, I suppose, meatballs, and uh, deli meat sliders. Compared to the far superior list, far far superior list. After hearing them out loud, I have brisket, loaded potato skins. Uh, chili cheese dog, guacamole, chips and guacamole, and Frito pie. Uh, come to the big big boys table. <laughs> eat, the, eat, eat the good stuff. Did you have any honorable mentions or things on your big board that we did not discuss? Because um, the other five on my big board were still untouched by you. Wow, your whole big board went clean for me. Yep. I didn't get anything on your big board? That is correct. Good Lord. All right. So I had uh, two worth mentioning um, wings, big old wangs, uh, I think need to be need to be mentioned. Um, didn't pick them, but wings at a tailgate pass. Uh, and then I had brats, uh, mm. had some brats uh, that, that were on there as my honorable mention. I had Tex-Mex dip, like a seven layer dip, Tex-Mex dip. People make it differently, but that general, uh, general idea i did have a bowl of chili um the tailgate my parents go to for michigan football or did go to 
um, one week. They they do different theme tailgates every home game, and one of the the themes every year is like a chili cook off. That was awesome. Um, number number eight on my big board was a surprising one: Dots pretzels. Have you ever had Dots pretzels? Ooh, no, I have not. Tell me more. They are a pretzel stick, essentially like a mini pretzel stick, and they are just buttered and seasoned to your arteries close as you eat them but you but you die a happy man as you eat them because they are unbelievable they're like handmade by by um some woman in like north dakota you can find them mostly in like convenience stores or like a liquor store or a uh like if you have a butcher like like an actual like meat store that's not in like your local grocery store they'll have them a lot they are like uh, incredibly addicting really good then i had burgers and <laughs> for some reason i put mozzarella sticks i don't even know that i stick behind <laughs> stick behind just throw them on the grill <laughs> when i was when i was up. making this list i guess i thought mozzarella sticks sounded pretty good but uh let's jump in here to before we get to your sign our shout out let's hit our monday's best bet this was a segment we started last week looking at the Monday Night Football games and the traditional money line spread or over-under bets, what we think is most likely to make you a little cash on the side. Uh, Colin and I last week both went with the Steelers and the points against the Giants, uh, and we both hit that. We are 1-0. So we're just, we are raking it in. Call us, call us Big Tone because we are just... Raking in all your money for you. Never lost is what you can say about Monday's <laughs> best bet. So this week's game, we have the New Orleans Saints traveling to brand new Allegiant Stadium to face the Las Vegas Raiders. When you look at the current lines, is there something that sticks out to you um, that you feel more confident about than others? You go first because I have two. And if you take one of my two, I'm going to take the other one. Okay. This one was a little tough. Um, Saints, I thought, had a good win last week against the Buccaneers looked pretty good. Their offense is, is seemingly always going to put up points hard to really get a gauge on the Raiders. The Raiders put up a bunch of points last week. Also gave up a lot of points to the Panthers who have a new coach, new quarterback, new defense. It's really hard to get a read on them. So this one has been a little tough. Um, I still think I like the saints spread the best. So the saints are five and a half point favorites meaning that if you bet on them, they have to win the game essentially by six points for you to have a successful bet. Uh, that's where I am going to put my my money this week. Saints uh, minus five and a half. See that, Ian, you did, you did indeed take one that I liked. Uh, I think the Saints are going to win this handily. Um, the reason I'm questioning that and, and didn't put all my chips into that basket is because this is the first game at this new stadium and there's always some kind of allure and magic in the world uh, when a new team comes into the stadium. So that kind of dovetails nicely into what I am going to choose as my best bet. Um, In order for the Raiders to pull off some magic, they're going to have to keep the saints off the board. Uh, So if the Raiders do pull something off, I'm hammering the under Uh, 49 and a half is too many. Uh, I don't think the Raiders ha- – in reality, I don't think the Raiders hang in this game. I think the Saints beat them by two scores at least. Um, but even if they do, they're going to have to keep the Saints off the board. Both both instances, uh, hammer the under. 
go go team. Interesting. Very interesting. So this week we got a double double dose on Monday's best bets. We got Saints with the spread, and we're also hammering the under. So we'll see how we uh we see how we play out. Now to wrap us up this week, uh Colin, you have a sign our shout out that must be heard. Um, so I'm gonna let you take it away, sir. I do. Um I don't know if people haven't heard the news, uh, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg um passed away this week, this past week, and um, just being in law school, I, you know, you kind of get a, uh, I would like to say a deeper dive into our Supreme Court justices than, than most do. And so I think RBG just deserves a shout out. I know she's gotten a lot of love and run in the media, which she deserves, but uh, just what she actually has done for women and women's empowerment in the workplace, uh, especially has is just you can't put enough words into it. Um, and it's just, it's, we're in revolutionary times and, uh, she was a revolutionary woman. So it's just a crazy, that's my sign on shout out. I don't really, uh, have a whole lot, I guess, to say about it. It's just, she deserves a shout out. Yeah. And I would encourage people. This is something that, that I kind of have on my radar to do this week. Um, is to just do more reading about her life and what she did accomplish because it's easy to see the small bites on Twitter or on Instagram and have the two or three quotes that everybody's throwing around. But um, I think she's somebody that's worthy of all of us, not just those who are um, in law school or have gone through law school to do a little bit more um, due diligence on and really understand the impact that she has had on our society. Um, she was known as a, a small woman, but a Titan of a woman. And, uh, she scared. She, I mean, there were stories where like she physically scared like NFL football players, yeah, like, yeah. like she was so intimidating, but I, I'll even take Ian's step, Ian's comment a step further. Cause it's very true. Like learn about your Supreme court justices because they do make a huge impact on your life, like period. And their lifetime appointees, they're the only, position in our u.s government that is a lifetime appointee so you have them most likely for your entire life like once they get in um or at least a big chunk of your life they'll be in so they are the people like getting to know like where they stand on issues because they will directly impact you yeah so take take a uh take a step out of the comfort zone diversify your bonds a little bit and uh, go educate yourself and, and do some reading up on not only um, not only on, on, on Ruth, but also on the other Supreme Court justices that we currently have. Uh, with that, this has been yet another episode of the Cutback Podcast. Until next time, hit the pause button. <laughs> Until next time, hit the pause button, then hit play, then keep your head on a swivel and try not to get laid the fuck out. <laughs>